another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Let's start reading in verse 2 of John chapter 5. Now there is in the pool of, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. One more scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This month of January, we've themed here at Arise, brand new. And the reason why we've themed it brand new is because of two important things. Number one, it is the beginning of a new year. And if there is one thing that you and I must embrace at the beginning of every new year is the newness of the new year. If we don't enter a new year with a new set of goals, a new level of, of expectation, a new sense of preparation then we can live in the newness of a new year, carrying the oldness of the previous year and turn the new year into the old year 2.0. And if there's one thing God wants us to do, if we are believers in Jesus, is to live like our lives are continually going to be going to another level. When Jesus closed out his time here on planet earth, the last thing he said in the book of Revelation is, behold, I make all things new. Which brings us to the second section. Not only is it a new year, but if you are a believer in Jesus, excuse me, then theologically, we have stepped into the season of the continual newness of our God. When Jesus comes to us, He literally makes all things new. He releases us from our yesterday, frees us from our pain of our past, causes us or gives us the power to let go of the sins of our yesterday. And instead of judgment hanging over us because of what we once did, now because of Jesus, that judgment has been atoned for. Our guilt is removed. Our sin is gone from us. And hanging over us is the newness of new expectations, the power to live out our dreams, the potential of our tomorrows. And as we step into 2014, I believe it's God's will that every believer in Jesus would lift the level of their expectation to believe 
that the power of God's Word and the truth that He has set us free from what we once were, empowered us to be someone new in this new year, would collide with the expectations we have for 2014, with the level of our dreaming, and that together we should believe that in 2014, we are going to go somewhere that we've never been before, that our dreams are now empowered, our destiny is alive, that this year is going to be the best year of our lives. For every teenager that's been on youth camp and has got a fresh thing from God come alive in their heart, let me tell you, it's not just a moment that you get excited at the youth camp. This is the beginning of the rest of your life. The reason why I can declare that so confidently is because I found Jesus when I was 18 years old. And I know who I was, and I knew who I become. And my friends, when Jesus is in your life, then He changes you, frees you from what you once were held in, empowers you to be someone new, to live a better life. Come on, this doesn't just happen the day you meet Jesus. It's every day that you meet Jesus. Every day in Jesus, I am being released from the sin of my yesterday, freed from the judgment that should be held over my life. And now I walk forward continually into God's plan and God's purpose. And that is what it means to be a believer in Jesus. We are new. We love in our little kind of Western culture to make people feel that somehow what they've done in their past, who they are in their present is going to determine who they become in their tomorrows. But that, my friends, is not the gospel. The gospel is radical. And listen, if the gospel doesn't change the person sitting next to you's expectations, then it has no power to change your expectations. If there's judgment for them, but only promise for you, then there's no promise for you. The gospel is radical because it says, even though I was a failure yesterday, even though the person next to me made mistakes yesterday, tomorrow is blessing. I'm assured the victory of God. If anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is a powerful thing. And my friends, when we start reading about this passage that we're turning to this morning, the story of this man, this invalid man, this man who has been sitting on the side of this pool for 38 years, it is indeed an incredible story. When we jump into this man's story, the Bible tells us that for the last 38 years of his life, he has been incapacitated, unable to move. He is lame in the legs. He is sitting on the side of a pool and he is waiting for an angel to touch the waters and hopefully he can jump in there first. And if he gets there first, then maybe a miracle is going to come to his life. It's an amazing story because it's important to note that even though we didn't read it, if you read down in your text, Jesus, in speaking to the man privately, highlights that the cause of his infirmity, the cause of his, the problem with his legs is because of a fault in his own life. I don't know what he did. Maybe he got drunk, stepped off a ledge, did something silly. But as a result of his own folly, this problem has come to his life. And now because of his own error and sin, the man is sitting on the side of this pool and he simply cannot move. He's crippled. 
But you know what? It's not just a physical cripple that can come into somebody's life. I mean, there are people who cannot walk and people who cannot move, and there are restrictions that are there in the physical realm of our lives. But there are a lot of people in this world, and perhaps even a lot of people in this room who are crippled in some arena of their life. This man cannot walk, but maybe we cannot trust. Somebody hurt us. Somebody did something to us. We had a moment in our lives where, because of our own error, a relationship suffered, and now we'd never let somebody new in. There are people who are crippled in all kinds of arenas of their life. The once they made a decision to live courageously, to go beyond their natural limits, to step out, to do something amazing for God. But then they had some kind of setback. Things didn't go their way. And now they never take a step of faith. They're incapacitated, unable to move forward in the life God has for them. Some people make a decision that they're going to tithe, put God first in their finances. Then along comes a bill. Along comes a setback. A job is lost. A situation comes their way. And now they never open up their wallet and give a dime, let alone put Jesus first in the arena of their finances. And they're crippled. They could have a part in God's purpose, but they're unable to step into what God has for them. And my friends, it's an amazing thing to note that the reason why Jesus came to this planet was to free us from whatever binds us, whatever has held us back, whatever has limited us in our yesterday. The reason why Jesus came was so that you and I could be free of what once held us and we could be empowered to step into who He wants us to become. Here we have this man who is sitting on the side of this pool. And when we read the story, I ask the question, why is it that in the middle of so many people, Jesus singles out the one? I mean, verse 3 tells us that a great multitude, many people, blind, sick, paralyzed, are sitting under five separate colonnades. In other words, there's a lot of space and a lot of people who are hiding from the harshness of the sun and waiting for the waters of this pool to stir. Yet Jesus is attracted to the one. Whenever Jesus is attracted to the one in the Bible, I always want to drill down on it. Why is it that there was a room filled with people, yet no miracles happen until one man is lowered from the ceiling by his friends? Why is it that people crushed Jesus as he's walking down the street, yet one woman could reach out, touch the hem of his garment, and be healed? What is it that sometimes causes Jesus to be attracted to the one in spite of the many? I mean, so many sicknesses, yet this man got healed. Perhaps the key to why Jesus was attracted to him comes to us when we read in verse 6 that the Bible says Jesus knew or Jesus had already heard that the man had been there for a long time. He already was aware of the fact that this guy's life had been on pause for 38 years. He was journeying. He was doing life. He made a mistake. He ended up unable to walk. And now for the last 38 years of life, he has been sitting on the sidelines watching life happen in front of him, watching people move past him, watching others step into opportunities, watching favor come to different individuals, but not him. He sits on the side as he watches life pass him by. And Jesus walks up to this man. And at the moment that Jesus walks up to him, he steps into the journey of this man's life. If there's one thing that I know about Jesus, my friends, it is that Jesus always comes to our lives whenever our lives are on pause. 
Anybody who ever feels like somehow they're living under a pause, you, Jesus comes to us always to free us from a life that is on pause, to break us out of a static life. If you are a Christian, you are a person who is on the way. Before we were called Christians, we were known as people of the way. The way, literally meaning a journey. Jesus didn't say, I am the, he didn't say, I am the pause, the truth and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you are in, if I'm in you, then your life is going to be moving. He hates it when people are living their lives on pause. This man has been on pause for 38 years, and Jesus comes to mess up his pause, to free him from it. Jesus empties waiting rooms. It's what he does. He hates waiting rooms. In fact, the last time I preached in this series, I preached from the, the, the following verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 5, verse 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But if you read down to chapter 6, verse 1, it goes on and says, you've heard it said, in the day of salvation, in the hour of my power, I came and moved in your life. And then the, verse 2 says, I'm here to tell you, now is the hour and now is the day. In other words, stop waiting for God to move in your life. He's already already moved in your life. It's time for us to take our lives off pause and begin to move forward in what He's got for us. This man is sitting, waiting, hoping, wondering, and Jesus is like, hang on a minute. My mission is to get your life off pause and get you moving forward. I mean, have you ever thought about the first thing that Jesus ever did after He died was to empty a waiting room? I mean, when Jesus went to hell, there's a whole lot of saints still living in hell under the bondage in, Jehen, in the waiting room in Sheol, under the waiting room, waiting, not able to go into paradise in heaven. But Jesus opened the gate of those who were held back and said, this moment, and dead people went rolling down streets, and then everybody went up to heaven. And now the moment you die, you go straight into heaven for all eternity. But Jesus said, there's no more waiting rooms. I'm free and I'm empty in the waiting rooms. Nobody's going to wait a moment longer. That's not just to what happens when you die. It's to the way that God wants to move in our lives while we're here on earth. It's only a short life. And God wants every day of our lives to count. I mean, Moses is a guy who lived 40 years of his life on pause. Grew up with a sense of destiny, a plan, and a purpose. God put His power in his life. In the book of Acts chapter 7, it says that Moses was a man who was powerful in speech and action. That's who he was. Yet the Bible tells us that when Jesus turns, sorry, when, the, when God turns up in his life in the burning bush moment, that Moses is the guy who says to God, I have never been eloquent. I've never been eloquent. In the book of Exodus, it's going to come up on your screen. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. In other words, who he was, he's lost it as he's lived his life on pause. That's what happens when you live your life on pause. Muscle is lost. Strength is lost. Ability is lost. And we just end up with less than we had before. We put our lives on pause. That's why the doctor says, get moving and your healing will come. That's why God wants us to move forward and wants to take our lives off that pause and get us to accelerate into what he has for us. But here is this man who has been living his life on pause for 40 years, and God sent a burning bush to get him off pause. I mean, how about Peter? Peter denies Jesus three times, ends up going back fishing. He's back on pause. That's what he was doing before Jesus came to him. Jesus rose from the dead. 
turned up on the side of a lake, gave him a meal just to get his life on pause. When people are going to come back from the dead and turn up in your life to get you moving, you know that that kind of person cares about your life moving forward. And Jesus clearly cares about you and I not living our lives in our yesterdays, but being empowered to move into our tomorrows. He wants to free us from our pause and get our life moving into what he's got. And when it comes to cycling, you know, um, yeah, every story is about cycling. You know, when it comes to cycling, you, you know, you, you start the big hill climb with your friends, you know. Coming here, we drove past the Paikokariki Hill because I've been up in Kapiti this morning and I was showing uh, Dan Green, who's driving me this morning, you know, where we where we climb up the Paikokariki Hill to the summit at the top, and it's one of my favorite climbs. And you know when you start at the bottom of the hill with about six or seven cyclists, you know, you start at the bottom of the hill hoping that you're going to be first to the top, okay? Now, depending on the length of the climb, maybe about a third of the way up there, you start wondering, not will I make it there first, but will I make it there with everybody else? So your goal quickly shifts as your heart rate starts to climb, as the legs start to fill with lactic acid, you trade the dream of finishing first for the dream of finishing at the same time as everybody else finishes. Because at least that's not embarrassing. I mean, you don't win, but it's not kind of shameful to finish at the same time as everybody else. And then as you continue to climb, you start asking new questions. How far is it to the top? How much are the guys on my left and right hurting? I mean, are they hurting as much as I'm hurting right now? Because if they're maxing out, then they're about to button off. And if we all button off at the same time, I can still finish with the bunch. As you continue to climb up the hill, if you're hurting more and more and more, then you start looking for new things, reasons why you can find a reason to button off while everybody else keeps going. So as you're riding up, and often this is on some kind of, you know, country hill where not many cars go, so you've got about three or four riders across, two or three riders deep, so everybody's kind of in the same group, one or two guys are dropping off the back, and, you know, you're thinking, great, well, at least I didn't finish before them. And then along comes a car coming down the hill, and often, you know, a guy will call out, car up. It means everybody make sure you're on the left-hand side of the road, car up, everybody pull over. And normally, because I'm a pastor and I care about others, you know, I'm really not self-focused, it's not about me. Um, I'm a shepherd over sheep, and I've got to be watchful. You know, if I'm really, really hurting, if I'm really, really feeling the impact of that climb, I'll button off and just pull into the back of all the group that's there. I'm not just moving for the car. I tell you what I'm doing is I'm giving my lungs a moment to recover. I'm letting, I'm letting that opportunity become a moment where I can just pull in the back and recuperate and perhaps even just drop off the back slowly. But it's okay that I dropped off the back slowly because I didn't actually drop off the back. I just pulled in to make room for that car because I'm others focused. I'm a pastor and I care about you. I, I don't want anybody to be in danger on this ride. So I just used that moment to reposition myself as, as a sacrificial act to care for somebody else. And the truth is that when you get to the top and everybody's talking about, you know, who came first and, you know, you get to say, well, you know, I was with you, but, but when that car came, I, I, had to, I had to pull in the back. And then, of course, once I pulled in the back, you guys had that group, you know, kind of group thing and I didn't have that anymore. And so I kind of got left behind, but, but I would have made it to the top with you if it hadn't have been for that car that came down. And there's nothing like a really good excuse. I mean, there are a lot of them in cycling. I pulled back to help that new guy, you know. That's the reason why I didn't really go for it. Well, I, did the, I, I let out, so then I set the guy up, and that's the way 
he, he, you know, he, got the, he got there first, but I did the work to get him there. I mean, there's always, there's always reasons. I mean, we got a lot of boys and a lot of testosterone, and everybody wants to win. There's always a lot of excuses. And in life, it can just be so awesome to have an excuse, a reason, a reason why everybody should just expect a little bit less of you, a reason why that might be possible for somebody else, but it's an unreasonable expectation to put that on me, a reason why I I can't actually go where somebody else wants to go in life because of my circumstances, my events, my precious, it's so easy to live your life with an excuse. And it's amazing because, you know, so many people have been crippled in different arenas of their life. And whenever we start talking about the area of cripple that is within us, our lack of relational strength, our our inability to move forward financially, Uh, 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 our inability to really progress forward in what God's got for us, why we can't live our dreams, why we haven't been stepping forward in what God's got for us, why there is this continual lagging problem in our lives. It's just so easy to live our lives. And we're always talking about the car that descended down the hill, about the person that derailed us, about the moment that came to us, about this thing in our personality, in our our physical makeup, in our background that stops us from moving forward into what God's got for us. And then along comes the truth of the gospel that says no person is inadequate. There's no failure. No one is living under a sentence of doom. If Jesus is in your life, you can be free from whatever has held you back. There's no limit to your dreams. There's no ceiling over your tomorrows. That stuff may have come to your yesterday, but Jesus comes with a promise for your tomorrow. I mean, that's what the gospel is, amen? And in the middle of it all, here is this man sitting on the side of the road for 38 years, 38 years with the same excuse. Well, you know, you can't expect more from me. I could never rise beyond that. And along comes Jesus, and his question is amazing. There's only about maybe 10, 15 times in all the Bible that God asks people direct questions. I mean, the first question he ever asked was, who told you that you were naked? He asked, he asked uh, Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? He asked Jacob, what is your name? And here he asks this man a pertinent question. After 38 years, he says to him this question, do you want to be made well? I mean, my friends, as we step into 2014, I want you to know that you can move forward. If this series in January is about anything at all, it is about saying, lift your expectations for this coming year. Don't live with small dreams. Don't live feeling that you are somehow disqualified. If Jesus is in your life, then you can go somewhere new. You can step into a better tomorrow. Listen, relationships can be restored. You can access that promise. You can change your life. You can enter into prosperity. Oh man, whatever held you back in 2013 is in 2013. That may have been a year of adversity, but this will be a year of prosperity. It may have been a time of setbacks, but this year is a time of set-ups. Come on, we can do whatever we want to do. If Jesus is in us, this year is filled with promise, dripping with abundance, a declaration of renewed potential and refreshed dreams. 
But as we step into this new season, knowing that Jesus has already emptied every waiting room, restored every blessing, removed every curse, the question that he asks us is, do you want to be made well? It's a pertinent question. It's a very important question because if we don't clarify our answer to that question, we can just live forever wanting to use the excuse of what we had in our yesterday to somehow be the reason for the lack of our performance in our tomorrow. And somewhere we have to find an ownership for where we're at and then find empowerment to move to where we want to move into. And it comes when we start answering this question. I mean, if you've lived your life renting a house for so long, you can put it out there that one day you want to own your own home. But do you really want to be made well? Every bill comes your way. Do you, are you willing to accept the fact that you once had this discretionary budget to cover these items and now that budget's gone, it's gone on mortgage repayments, which will result in capital gains and blessing for your children. But do you want to be made well? I mean, if you've lived your life and someone's hurt you at some point and a relationship's gone south, you can say, well, hang on a minute, I want to get married. But do you really want to be made well? Are you willing to accept that there's a, a new set of habits, a new set of routines, ready to sacrifice, ready to share, with, ready, ready to give up, ready to take a lower seat, ready to let somebody else determine your life a little bit when once you tried that before and it didn't work that way? Do you want to be made well? I mean, anything that God's going to take you and I into is going to involve us actually stepping forward into a new arena of risk. I mean, Jesus saying, man, you've got your life. You're sitting here on the side of this pool, and every morning somebody brings you a morsel of food because we're a charitable community. We're Jewish people, and, you know, we believe in looking after those that are among you. That's, that's in our law, God's law that He gave to us. He cares about the poor and the needy. That's why you're blessed in this community. I mean, sure, you get your morsel of food. Some guys carry you. You sit here. You beg for food all day. You've got a circle of friends, a neighborhood you're familiar with. Are you willing to let go of that? to have no longer begging being a legitimate form of income for you? Are you ready to find some new friends? Because the guys you've been hanging out with for 38 years, Pete and, and Barry and Sam, are you ready to admit that if you've got legs back and they're still sitting here, that you're going to have to find a new circle of comfort? Do you want to be made well? Jesus is saying, man, every blessing and every opportunity is ahead of us, church. But as we power into 2014, I think there is no more pertinent question when we're discussing brand new, then to answer the question of Jesus to us, do you want to be made well? Once that question is answered, I'm telling you, heaven is empowered to move on your behalf. Once that question is answered, then the grace of God can begin to move in our lives. Once that question is answered, guys, then there is no limit over where we can go. That's how we get salvation. Jesus says, do you want it? I already purchased it for you, but do you want it? I mean, you don't have to have it. You can live forever with your own independence, pride, rebellion. You can refuse to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. You can go to hell. It's your choice. Jesus made hell only for the devil and his angels. But if you want to side with him, that's your choice, and God can't reverse it. But if you want salvation, then man, hell has no hold over you. Your sin is forgiven. Your future is blessing. Jesus comes to your life. It's only a question of whether we want it. And man, as we step into this new year, let's think about that area of our lives that we're believing to move forward in. That area that God's holding up for us and saying, this is your new horizon. 
This is your new dream. Do we want it? Um, at the beginning of last year, when Julie and I took our four weeks off on holiday, um, I felt God spoken in my heart about some area of my own character, and He asked me to change it. And I, I, you know, praise God, I got to the end of last year and Jillian said to me, you really did change that area of your life. You're a better man than you were at the beginning of 2013. And I think that's the greatest compliment she's ever given me. But you know, in March of that year, I was thinking about this area of my character. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm turning 40 next month. I mean, I'm turning 41 in April of this year, but I turned 40 in April of last year. And I'm, I'm, I'm in Whangarei, Whangarei. I'm in Whangarei and I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking... I'm 39 years old. I've always been this guy. I mean, it's not like, you know, when Jesus came to my life, I was passive, you know, I don't know, unopinionated, and then suddenly Jesus came to my life, and I became active and strong, and, you know, I've always been a strong character. I mean, Jesus made me a better me. He made me a new me, but he didn't make me a different me. Do you understand what I mean? I mean I've always been the same. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, is it, is it feasible that I can change this area? I mean, is it even possible? I mean, come on, man. I mean, can, can leopard change its spots? I mean, you know, can I really do this? And, and I guess I was feeling a little bit discouraged about this goal that I'd set of trying to improve in this area of my personhood. And I was in Whangarei, and I went walking into a motel room where I was staying. And I'll never forget it as long as I live, because I, I crossed the threshold of the motel room, and I shut the door behind me, and the motel room had like a little bit of a lounge there. And as I walked in, I was standing in this lounge area with the kitchenette in front of me. And as I shut the door, I felt two things. Number one, the presence of Jesus just flooded that motel room. And I knew it was a moment for me and God. And the second thing that happened is God just dropped straight into my heart these words. He just said to me, well, not audibly, no booming voice, no thunder came. But in my heart, I knew God was speaking to me. He just said to me, do you want to be made well? And it was like I just realized that the only thing that was going to stop me from changing was whether I preferred the old me to the new me. That if Jesus was in my life, I can change anything that is not in line with who he is. The only limit, the only limit over our potential is Christ-likeness. True? Our whole journey on this planet is to become more like Jesus. So if there is failure in our lives, setback in our lives, hatred in our lives, bitterness in our lives, failure in our lives, whatever setback you've got, whatever sickness is in your body, Jesus bore our sicknesses, healed our diseases, removed the curse, restored every blessing. And now grace is about the fact that we can become more like Jesus every day that we are on this planet. And so the question for me and the question for us is do we want to be made well? Uh, this has been the screensaver of my cell phone for the last 10 months has been the verse of scripture I'm preaching to you from this morning. I put it there after that moment in March, typed it up the next morning, put it here and it's been here ever since. Do you want to be made well? Because church, I've got the sense that no matter who we are or what we've been in, that if we would be willing to answer that question, this man, as the band come and join me, this man just says to Jesus, oh, sir, I've been sitting on the side of this pool for 38 years. And every time, every time that water gets stirred by the angel, I mean, I'm crawling, I'm moving, I'm scraping my knees, but there's some blind guy and he's like, I don't care. And he just kind of runs towards where he thinks the water is. Sure, he drops 
drops headlong in there, bumps his head on the side of the pool, but his eyes start working the moment he gets. There's always somebody. There's always someone who just seems to have their life more together. Always somebody that gets the promotion ahead of me. There's always someone else that look, I look at their life and I think I would like that life, but I can't have it because of this, because of that, because of this setback. And Jesus comes to our lives wherever we feel that somehow what they've got is easy for them, but impossible for us. And he's just asking us a question. Do we want to be made well? Because once we answer that question, friends, then he comes and man, this guy says, I want it. I want it so bad, but I've never been able to have it. And Jesus says, well, this is why I came. I came for people like you. I came for people like John. I came for people like us. That's why Jesus came. He came so that no matter what, no matter what held us back, we are brand new. We are brand new. And if we are brand new in Jesus, then we must lift our expectations to believe that that marriage is going to be blessed in 2014. That God's going to open up a doorway for us. I prophesied this two weeks ago, but I felt like God was speaking to some people in our church and saying, you know, that equity to loan ratio might be an 80%, whatever, 20% deposit and all of that. But don't you let that stop you from the dream that one day you can own your own home because if Jesus is in you, He can open a way. Man, we can, we can move past whatever failure we've done. We can step into the promise of something better. Do you want to be made well? And the moment the man said yes, rise, take up your mat, walk. What? What? What are you saying? But something in Jesus just connected with this guy. And the Bible says immediately, a guy who's been sitting in the same spot for 38 years, hears the word of Jesus and he's just like, all right. I mean, what I love about this is that the guy took up his mat. I don't know about you, but if I've been sitting down for 38 years and along comes Jesus and I've been, I've been stuck there for 38 years. I mean, you know, these things have just wasted away. I'm sitting there. You know, I'm shuffling around and along comes Jesus and he just says, rise, take up, take up your mat. But he, you know, the guy's just like, oh, and he jumps up to his feet and, and then he rolls up his mat. I mean, who does that? But he just, he just gets his life turned around. And when Jesus turns your life around, it's a freeing thing, an empowering thing. He's just amazing. And I just got this thought in my heart that as we start into 2014, God's got a plan to exceed every dream we've ever had of Him. Lift your focus. Believe for more. Don't settle for low living. Don't expect the same rotation of the year you've already had last year. It's our season. It's your moment. It's a new day. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.